I should come with a warning label. Warning, if you're a general contractor, you might be called a thief multiple times during the show. If you're an architect, you might be offended multiple times during the show. The people who are in the industry will understand it. If you know someone who knows the system really well, the system is manipulatable to the sense that you can put undue pressure on people and do a different type of force performance scenario than, say, certain triparat contracts facilitate, for lack of a better word. So... Welcome to the EBFC Show, the easier, better, for construction podcast. I'm your host, Felipe Engineer Manriquez. This show is all about the business of construction. Today's episode is sponsored by Construction Accelerator. The design and construction industries come up with and build great things, but we also build in waste in how we do those things, in our interactions, in our contracts, in our logistics. So what does this do for our bottom line or our next project? The best firms maximize their value by removing that waste and only doing what's essential to the work, what makes them money. Construction Accelerator will train you to see the waste and give your teams the lean tools and experience to remove it immediately. All online, Construction Accelerator is made up of three to nine minute videos that can be watched again and again in the field, at the office, and at home, all broken down by topic. Need to learn pool planning? We have videos on the process how to set up a room, and how to kick off a team. Need to set up a target value delivery project? We discuss all the aspects of TVD, especially cost. Or maybe you just need to brush up on 5S. Well, we have videos on that as well. You can download and print reference materials to use on site to immediately translate watching into doing. Subscribe today at tricanow.com. Let's build an industry, not just a project. Today's show is also sponsored by the Lean Construction Institute. LCI is working to lead the building industry in transforming its practices and culture. Its vision is to create a healthy and thriving industry that delivers outstanding project outcomes every time for everyone. Check the show notes for more information. Now, to the show. Welcome to the show, Sean Greystone. I've spent many conversations with you Fully enthralled is the only appropriate adjective to describe my feeling when we're talking. Not being facetious at all. You tend to draw the best out of me when we talk. Thank you, Sean. Appreciate that. My name is Sean Greystone. Currently, I am a uh, owner's representative. Side of the business I got into probably 15 years ago or more. Born in New York City. I was raised in Chicago. I lived in Europe as a teenager. I came back to the United States, uh, went straight into a carpenter's training program in New Mexico, which is where I ended up before I'd even graduated high school. So by the time I stepped out of high school, I had a full-time job as a carpenter for a construction company. That started me off on a lifetime career, was brought into a small company and asked to become a junior partner in a three-man company, which I did until I hit probably my late 20s, at which point I opened up my own one of eventually three or four construction companies. Myself, I became a general contractor. I functioned mostly out of the state of New Mexico, although we did work nationwide. We had multiple divisions. I did straight up public works for a very long time. That was one group. We did historic restoration of significant buildings. That was another division completely. After the bonding and surety crisis after 2001, we had been doing some very high-end residential operations, but uh, as many people in the industry are aware, 2001 changed the insurance and surety markets completely. They were already in a rough state by the end of the 1990s. In the late 1980s, I have a very strong association with the Associated General Contractors of America. When I was being trained and and brought up in the industry, I was told that you're not a really 
not really a professional contractor unless you belong to one of the large organizations, AGC at that time. So I joined AGC and it wasn't very long after that that the president of whom had become national president of AGC called me up, took me to lunch one day and said, you will be taking a greater role in industry affairs, which led to my being involved in the board of directors of the New Mexico building branch of the Associated General Contractors. Through that, I met Greg Howell, one of the two founders of Lean Construction Institute. Greg applied for the chair at the University of New Mexico. That led to an immediate friendship and association. At that point in my life, I was already asking questions about the industry. Why do we not control our own industry? Why do we work in an industry that has contracts being written by other entities completely? Meaning at that point, AIA was kind of the document source. Why was there such a disparate risk assignment assessment in the standard contracting world at that point. These led to my having very long conversations with Greg Howell in particular prior to the days of the formation of Lean Construction Institute. And unfortunately, we lost Greg Howell last year, very sadly. That was a man who influenced so many of us in the construction industry and, and actually was one of the most important change agents that I'm aware of in the last, actually in the history of American construction, frankly. And I'm a bit of a history buff. Well, you say that so lightly. You're a massive history buff. Like it's, I'm an amateur. I actually love history. And I'm a firm believer in the fact that if we don't know where we came from. Not only do we not understand today, but we can't really form a clear understanding of where we're going. I'm a great fan of George Santayana, whose quote about history is on the um, entering lentil stone of pretty much every state archive in the United States, which says words to the effect of people who forget their paths are doomed to repeat it. But my other favorite Santayana quote, history is nothing but a pack of lies about events that never took place written down by people who weren't there. Uh, I think that Greg had a profound effect on me. I ended up joining the Lean Construction Institute in the very early days, very active in the very early conferences. I gave a paper in 2004 about when I became head of the president of the New Mexico building branch of the AGC on the crisis in construction labor, which we are now seeing the of probably anyone watching this and who's very active in the construction industry is well aware of. Labor is a crisis. Education is a crisis. As it was then, it was part of the paper I gave even in 2004. I'm very sad to say that a lot of the things I forecasted came true. I'm very happy to say that New Mexico building branch of the AGC was considered very progressive. We formed our own self-funded work comp pool early, early on. I think we were the second state besides Alabama, who successfully did that. So we bought a high school outside of Albuquerque, New Mexico, and it's still active and it's training trades. I'm a big advocate of trade training. 2009 to 2012 financial crisis kind of changed things. Things were getting very pressed in the construction industry. There was a tendency at that point of large owners to delay on payments. That's always been a problem. Unspoken use of construction companies as lending companies, drawing out payments, progress payments and final payments along a contract to use it as a mode of financing for owners. I don't mean anything bad by this. I'm not talking about anybody in particular. It's just a trend that has taken place in the industry for a very long time. That caused me to reevaluate. I got some very serious offers. One of them was to become the owner's representative for the restoration of John Russell Pope's first monumental commission building in Washington, D.C., to me, in my mind, was like being asked to go supervise the restoration of the Statue of Liberty. It's one of the most iconic buildings in the United States. It's at 16th and S Street. The building is important historically. So I took that project on, got certifications to teach the AGC, LCEP, 
That's uh, a lot that, of acronyms, Sean. Sorry. AGC, American General Contractors Association. The LCEP is the Lean Construction Educational Program, developed jointly originally by the Lean Construction Institute, Greg Howell, and the AGC. And then the AGC was licensed to actually manage the classes themselves. So that's seven units of lean education. My association, Lean Construction Institute, continues. I'm an approved teacher for all of their modules. I'm a member of the Coaches Community of Practice for LCI. I'm on the Associated General Contractors National Lean Steering Committee. So I've gotten uh, very industry involved as I was pushed to do when I was very much younger. And I think it's really important. I don't think I need to tell you that we work in a very dangerous industry. We work in a very time-consuming industry. We work in an industry that has traditions and practices that go back to the end of the 1800s. I knew it went back, Sean, but I didn't know it went back that far. Modern American construction starts in roughly right around the time of the Civil War, shortly afterwards. There were two. I would recommend that anyone who likes this stuff join the Construction History Society run out of Georgia Tech. Basically, two forms of construction started with two or three of the oldest construction companies in the world. Norcross Brothers was one of them. They no longer exist. They went out of business in the mid-1920s. Basically, what we would now call cost plus, which is time and materials plus an arranged profit or their fix sum. Both of these styles of construction started. Legislation at the national level, which happened 1890s or so, which attached sureties to public works so that there was a guarantee. Any building project that has any tax money involved in it to ensure the completion, they stand behind the general contractors during the performance and they guarantee the completion of the work, the payment of all of the trade partners, the price of the bid. So there's bid bonds, performance bonds, material and labor bonds. So that influences the way business is done in the United States. The AGC is founded in 1918 by presidential executive order, actually. The president said they were unable to muster the American construction industry in a manner that he thought commensurate to the response that was required to win the First World War. We still have AGC founding companies as members of the ENR 500, you know, best companies in the United States. That's engineering and news record. You're going to use a lot of acronyms, Sean. The only group I know that has more acronyms than we do in construction is the Navy. All of this uh, leads to an intimate understanding of how construction is done in the United States. And construction needs to be changed. It hasn't really changed in a very long time. It is not the most human of industries. We have some of the worst permanent life-crippling injury and death rates. Now the construction industry has moved into the number one spot of suicides per capita. Greg Howell was an amazing man that saw things in a completely different light and acted as a change agent because we were missing the human element. We were certainly missing the team element in construction. We were certainly missing the collaborative thinking environment in construction. And again, this can be traced to legal insurance methodologies, the way contracts are written, the concept of liability and where liability boundaries stand, define oftentimes in the old days how relationships between companies were formed. When I was coming up through the trades as a carpenter, speaking to the non-humane element of it, when they told you to work 120 hours in a week, you worked 120 hours in a week. Otherwise, you were passed over to go from a crew boss to a foreman and from a foreman to a junior super and from a junior super to a senior super and from a senior super to project executives, vice presidents in charge of divisions, for example. But, but you didn't climb up the ladder of advancement if you didn't do exactly what you got told to do. The site opened up at 6 a.m. You need to be on the site at 5.30 in the morning with your cords rolled out and your tools out because the clock started at six o'clock and if they didn't hear the sound of saws buzzing or whatever piece of equipment you were using if that sound wasn't audible at 6 a.m they told you to pack your stuff up roll your cords up get the hell off the job site and we could tell stories about the old hazing ways of getting into the trades and stuff and there's been a lot of societal change but construction is slow 
to change. You know, we're still one of the last advanced technological countries in the world that still procures at the federal, state, and public works level by low bid. But to me, the concept that Greg Howell and Greg and Glenn Ballard had back in those days, as well as many other unnamed people that we need to talk about, because the two of them did not just invent lean construction, which is what we now call it. There were many people who input into this, and there are many influencers in that, too many to be named. The way contractual arrangements were in the days when I was coming up and being trained was contracts were drafted in such a way that anything that you did that would cause me to lose money on my project, I had a set of barrier walls that isolated me. If the electrical trade partner, or what we used to call subcontractors, and I very particularly don't use the word subcontractors because of the connotations that the word has, we are all one team with one set of operating rules with one goal, which is to have a healthy, safe project that makes money, pleases the owner, and that everybody walks away without injuries on, and the owner calls us all back and says, we want to do another one of those. The term subcontractor is normal? It's inside of contracts? Trade partners versus subcontractors is the emphasis on the fact that no one is sub on a job. They're not my subs. They're my partners. We don't produce construction projects as an individual. I don't go out on a job site, excavate, pour the concrete, lift the steel, put the finishes in, commission the place and step off. It takes an enormous amount of people. AGC's Lean Construction Education Program emphasizes on an average project, let's say a $20 million. $20 million sounds average. There's 5,000 people involved in the production of that directly. And if you understand that we are all connected and we are all connected, there's nothing that any person does on a job site which doesn't directly affect everybody else, whether it seems apparent or not. If you create anything other than a win-win scenario for any business endeavor that you're involved in, ultimately the deal will fail. So in our world, that means that if everybody made money and the electrical trade partner went out of business, if someone is put in a position where they are crushed, a lot of things are sacrificed and like the rules of ethics have been breached on certain levels. You know, the ends justify the means. It's okay if a trade partner goes out of business and everybody else walks away. You know how these things work, especially, and the nature of our world has only gotten more complicated, more intense, more difficult, we really have to change what I call the rules of engagement. We have to radically change the rules of engagement. This is partially why the Lean Construction Institute per se, and I only name them, again, there are multiple organizations that are catching on and teaching this. There are multiple owner organizations that are understanding the paradigm shift that is necessary. There are multiple construction companies, slowly but surely, and it's slow, but who are beginning to shift their understanding of the change from everybody's on their own and you need to protect your skin versus understanding that collaboration is the best way to succeed in highly complex, highly dangerous, high stress. Sean, we're seeing the same parallel even just in our entertainment. If you just look at blockbuster movies over the last 30 years, you went from the individual lone hero to now everybody works in a team. The Arbinger Institute's book, Leadership and Self-Deception, one of the bottom line lessons of which is if you have the opportunity to do something constructive and quote unquote good for someone else and you don't take that opportunity, whether it's a stranger, a family member, a business associate, or anyone who you happen to come in contact with in the course of your daily living, and you don't take that action to benefit them, you're engaging in an act of self-deception. Thinking that is behind what they call inward and outward mindset, to me is critical. We refer to lean as if it's a methodology and a system. I wanna say that lean is a paradigm change. Not only do we have methods and practices, there's the last planner system, there's choosing by advantages, there's tools that are available, but you can exercise all the tools in the world. And if you don't understand the paradigm shift or the fact that it's a change in the way of thinking, we can't think our way into a new way of acting, but we can act our way into a new way of thinking which is why implementing things like the last planner system trains people to think in a different manner, 
as well as being a good technique to change the way we schedule. It's easier to act your way into a new way of thinking than to think your way into a new way of acting. This is a paradigm, inward and outward mindset, growth and fixed mindset, emotional intelligence, psychological safety, the whole lean system per se is they understand that it's a human system. What is the basis of fear reactions? What is the basis of hedging and inertial behavior and defensiveness? And you got to understand those are the keys behind the types of contractual arrangements to protect myself at the, at the expense and loss of everybody else. And at one point in time, that was considered to be acceptable. But even the U.S. military, in its high-performance operations, the Department of Defense document, Power to the Edge, they understood that cross-training, understanding emotional intelligence and psychological safety leads to radical changes in the performance of the team. Failure analysis and, and collapses in procedural methods. Oftentimes, people want to go just to process thinking or systems analysis. But to me, systems analysis without the understanding of the human element is only a partial. It's looking at half of it. It's going to fall short. It's like Newtonian mechanics versus quantum physics. Sean, you and I have friends that uh, at the Department of Defense, and we know that now in the 2000s, 2021 right now, they've got agile contracts. They want their contractors, their builders, to operate in agile ways. They need to deliver fast and be agile to keep up now with you know the speed of computers and the internet and interconnectivity. It's Things are just accelerating. Yeah, and actually the speed of operations are getting to the point that the old-fashioned command and control modules no longer work. And in that document that I just referenced, uh, Power to the Edge, the DOD doc, the theater of operations, and I am no military expert, don't get me wrong, I played military games when I was a kid. Having an operation that is moving so quickly that you can't rely on taking the order to proceed, and I'm using a construction term, not a military term, on a decision that's critical in the field without going all the way back up the command and control ladder. The guy in the field has to talk to his foreman, who has to talk to the floor foreman, who has to talk to the junior super, who has to bring it to the site super, who then has to go to the project manager, who then has to go to the PX, who then has to go to someone to make some critical decision, and they have to check with the insurance company or with the architect. And by the time that's come down, you've lost days in operation and you've created a whole bunch of makeup work scenarios that we take this into the military theater and you have dead people is what you have. You have someone who did not get an order to fire quickly enough. The moment of engagement in that theater of operations was ineffective. The level of engagement that we deal in where people's lives are on the line. Uh, four deaths and 16 life criminal life crippling injuries per day in construction. That's higher than U.S. military losses in operations. No resources unlimited. I don't care what it is. If we're not thinking to improve something every Every day, we're not dealing with the reality of the situation as it is. And in lean thinking, this becomes really critical because this is Kaizen and continuous improvement concepts. I think the learning cycle is eternal. And the minute we get lax at that, we just stop growing. To me, that's it. You know, if you don't have that burning, lusting desire to know, then go ahead and continue on with your operations daily. How do you affect change up the lack? If your boss has been doing the same thing that they've been doing that's made them successful, what motivation do they have to change? They don't. Many don't. And this leads to intransience and inertial reactions and failure to move forward. Forward, but again, to me, that is not the proper approach. Lean thinking, collaborative thinking, high intensity, high performance, high lean engagement, intensity thinking, it's not just the application of the last planner system, the five S's. Yeah, it's not a tools application. Why do you think continuous improvement is important? And you nailed it with your answering about how it's so connected to learning. And I'm finding that as a very common theme among people that pick this up and don't let it go. And if we all agree as people, that learning is good and good leaders are do a good job of helping enable change you know in their span of control why is there so much resistance to change in the industry fear is the motivator 
for the lack of change, the inability to look at oneself, the inability to look at one's system, the responsibility for being able to change a system. Fear can act as a motivator, but the more power we put into the fear, the more powerful the fear, the source of what drives the fear grows. So therefore, a defensive reaction doesn't work. We need to embrace the weaknesses and the things that we fear in ourselves first. We have to understand that human beings are filled with flaws. Just like lean thinking teaches that there are no mistakes, there are only learning opportunities. We only learn from our mistakes at best. There was a blowout on a project. It was a major project. They were about to go, they were about to go bad. Red notices were about to hit the fax machines. We're talking about surety stepping in and all the rest of the stuff. And they send me out and I gotta go fix it. And I fix it. It's four hours of what I used to call headbang behind closed doors. And when I come back to the office, my mentor and boss at the time, very old school, heavy, low bid federal procurement thinking and training, looks at me and says, What happened? Because I get back to the office, it's like six, six thirty, and he goes, What happened? I went, I fixed it. I I nailed that. He looks at me and he goes, don't be so calm. What? You know, I, I mean, I just, I just nailed that. And he goes, remember uh, this other situation that was about two years previous where you went, you got sent down to fix that stuff and it all blew apart? Oh yeah, I do remember that. And he said, you need to understand that I'm not impressed by your successes. All this success today means to me is that you learned from that failure two years. That's it. Go back to work. Understand that the most valuable experiences in our lives are our failures. Your successes are meaningless. How you rise from your failure and what you learn from that lets me know whether or not you're the type of person that we want to work with. Why is change difficult? Why are there still a lot of problems within the modern construction industry? Why do people resist change? Why is there inertial resistance to change? Why isn't lean being adopted by, or lean thinking? And I don't even want to call it lean. Why isn't high intensity collaborative thinking and team understanding being taught right now at the most leading edge uh, schools teach, and some are, okay? Some are slowly but surely doing it, but why isn't this the MO for every major successful construction company in the, in the US and the rest of the world? Because it's not. Some of the resistance that I've run into training and teaching, and so have many of my peers, this is all just a bunch of hooey. I've been doing this successfully for 60 years. Don't tell me what, you know, what I do works. Now, did someone get damaged psychologically, emotionally, financially as a result of that action? Yeah, but that's not my business. They didn't bid it right. They didn't behave correctly, whatever. But this speaks to a gruesome disconnect. And I'm going to say something that probably a lot of people aren't going to agree with, but I firmly believe deep down inside, Everybody knows the difference between right and wrong. Everybody. Have some people grown in modern business? Can people just go ahead and steamroll through something without dealing with the repercussions? And what do they say? It's business. It's not personal. It's all personal. Yeah. And that's part of the change in this understanding of the fact that there can be no interaction between two human beings of any nature whatsoever that is not a human engagement. The rules of engagement between human beings are consistent. Think. If we don't operate with that understanding, we are, in the words of the Arbinger Institute book, committing an act of self-deception. I've heard from several psychologists that I know personally that have told me that the environment in which people operate does more to create, shape, and enable character than anything else. Can you define a successful contractor? Everybody growing up, if you grew up in your neighborhood, and I don't care if it was in the south side of Chicago, someplace in Iowa, you know, small town kind of environment. Does everybody remember the family that was on the block where the uncle was always in the gutter, drinking Sterno, and was just kind of the town drunk? Bunch of brothers and sisters, and one of them was in jail for bank robbery, and there were two people who were had died of overdoses or were heavily addicted, and yet two of the brothers in that household, one of them became the governor of the state and the other one became like the head of the legislative council service for the state, like the group that wrote the laws for the legislature. What was it? Why did the family environment apparently destroy six out of the eight 
children in that family, and two of them rose above everything and came to be very successful and very powerful. And so what made the difference where they understood compassion and empathy when others didn't, but it doesn't much matter. Those are people who basically came out of a grotesquely dysfunctional environment and learned a set of operating rules by which they could make the connections happen. What did they do? They learned how to operate within that set of rules and create a success scenario out of it. And I said, that's a successful general contractor. Like I said, I was in my late 20s, early 30s when I went, there's something wrong with the system we're operating. You can't have this many deaths. You can't have this many companies going out of business. You can't have this many injuries. You can't have this many dysfunction. Every mentor, major mentor of mine in construction died at their desk from their third coronary, diabetic, 80-something years old, never went home, and tied to their surety company. Half the ones I know all of their assets folded and we're talking about former heads of the associate general contractors at national level we're talking about major community influencers the guy i'm particularly thinking of right now was on the board of every bank in five states it was on the board of directors of the salvation army goodwill united way i mean you name it they were activists they had great social conscience that man in particular taught me that if you take your assets out of a community, you're required to put your assets back into a community. In other words, don't work in one town and buy your lumber out of state. Don't work in one town and purchase your steel elsewhere. Don't hire from out of state. Go cultivate the people that you need out of the community that you're building for because otherwise otherwise you're not creating the cycle of return. Right? You're not so we spent right. a lot of time recruiting our carpenters. You know, I, we would go to the old communities up in northern New Mexico when I was active back then and go recruit the children of the woodcarvers that had been up there for 300 years. Just like the story I heard about the building of the National Cathedral, when they couldn't find the guys to do the stonework, they went and recruited the great-grandchildren of the old Vermont and New England quarrymen and brought them down and taught them how to carve stone to complete the steeples on the National Cathedral. You need to be resourceful and you need to think outside the box and the standard ways of coming up with solutions to things are not always the way that you gotta go. So therefore, if you don't have an open mind and you're not thinking outside the box, and you are thinking be based on behavioral patterning that you learned, and this is not to get into the nature-nurture argument, because the latest thinking on that is, is it's both, and what it's turning out to be is that nurture can overcome nature in many circumstances, because you can train yourself with great effort out of a self-destructive environment that it turns out the training, if done the right way, can overcome the nature influence. Getting into an environment in an IFOA scenario, an independent form of agreement scenario, where everybody puts their profit at risk and you have an incentive bonus, and the only way you can construct those contracts is by revealing what you really make, like what your real profit is, and what happens when you put a mechanical contractor, a mechanical engineer, an architect, a general contractor, an electrical contractor, a masonry contractor, and whoever else are the key signatories to an agreement, all of whom hide how they make their profit, what their profit margins really are, right? Because in a fixed bid scenario, you know, you don't reveal that stuff because that makes the difference between you getting a job and not. You're going to enter into an IFOA agreement in a major city like Los Angeles or Boston or DC and have to reveal 100% to a general contractor that you know you're going to be in a low bid scenario with next year and reveal to them what your real profit and markup margins are, it ain't gonna happen. And I've been in these scenarios. And so what do you do? You figure out an outside of the box way to do it. One On one major project, I came up with confidentiality agreements that were so gruesome 
you'd have to be insane to sign that confidentiality agreement and then breach it. In other words, we're entering into this agreement knowing full well that we're sitting in a room full of people who are going to be in a competitive low bid scenario with one another again many times over the course of the next 10 years. If there's even wind of the fact that you have revealed what these people are revealing so that we can effectively sign this all IFOA so that you can actually accurately calculate your shared profit distribution the profit pool distribution on a standard IFOA, which is for those people who don't understand, you put your profit at risk in a, in a highly technical IFOA. And if you bring the project in under, you disperse not only your the profit that you bid into the project, but the what's left over, the incentive compensation layer, the ICL. Everybody who is a member of the team gets a piece of the ICL based on their percentage of their input into the master contract. Well, you can't accurately do any of that kind of calculation unless everyone's being totally transparent. How are you going to be transparent in a room full of people who are your competitors or general contractors that you're going to later bid with? And what prevents you from going, no, no effing way? And I've been in that scenario where we've gotten to the negotiations on the IFOA and two parties in the room just cross their arms and slide their chairs back. And you get these really vague answers. Well, it's 15%. It's, it's like, no, we actually, we need a full scale, fully revealed, certified by your chief financial officer, understanding of exactly where you put your profit and exactly what your overhead is and exactly what your labor burden. Architects make all that one way. Architects and engineers build and make their profit in one place. Uh, plumbers and electricians do that in another place completely. I'm not going to say it because these are touchy industry trade secrets. And the general contractor and the structural make theirs in a completely different manner. Someone asked me, what what's a real high-intensity lean IFOA scenario like? And I said, everybody gets into a conference room together and they take off all their clothes. All of them. The warts, the big belly, my bald head, scars, the stuff we're not supposed to talk about, men, women, makes no difference. Everybody gets in the room, gets 100% naked, and sits down at the table and negotiates a project. You don't have that level of transparency, you're not going to have a high level of engagement. How the hell are you going to get to that level of transparency without a real, truly tested, vulnerability-based trust agreement among the participants? And how do you get there? When we're in a market which allows bid shopping, which allows, and God forbid I said that, but you know what? I don't care who says what. In certain markets, bid shopping is still common practice. Let's talk about reverse bidding, right? The deal that you have on certain owner projects in the United States where they open a reverse eBay style webpage and the numbers just keep going down by anyone who has a license anywhere in the United States. And the divisions stay open as everyone just puts in a lower number and a lower number until everybody... The numbers stop. That's when they close the bid, when the numbers stop going down. And then you have an electrician in one state, roofer in another state, an erector in another state, a general contractor in another state, and they're all supposed to get together and build this. And how do they end up? Those jobs end up in law lawsuits. You're not going to create a vulnerability-based trust, profit-sharing, incentive compensation layer contract out of that. So the real question is, again, and I'm trying to still answer about why is there resistance at certain levels. These are some of the things that prevent the type of level of engagement that we know that the players are capable of. People who are very familiar with the system can figure out ways to manipulate the system. And so I could tell you multiple examples of how low bidders on very expensive projects manipulate the timing of when payments are due and they withhold payments till you get to the edge of the lien, filing requirements on a bonded project, and basically at the last second they'll call up a trade partner and go, well, we owe you, you know, three months worth of progress payments and no one's answered the phone for ages. 
So if you take 10% off of everything we owe you, we'll cut you a check today. If not, go ahead and call in the surety because we have a bunch of paperwork that shows that you're responsible for this many days in the first month of the job, responsible for this many and then we're just going to prosecute you because we keep extensive job logs. And the day we told you to show up with 16 people on the site, even though we weren't ready for you to show up with 16 people on the site, nonetheless, our job log shows that we called for 16 and you showed up with three. You delayed the job. So go ahead. You know, where's this going to go to? And of course, unfortunately, in many of the scenarios, and I'm basing this on real scenarios. Okay, I'm being really light, not giving you the details. But you know what happens in most of those scenarios? The trade partner goes, fine, just give me the check. Because you know what? They're three months out on, on an enormous layout of capital expenditure. And borrowing and banking after 2009 was not what borrowing and banking was in the late 90s. You know, contractors operated both trade and prime with massive credit lines massive credit lines. How else do you think we function when we have to capital outlay on owners who would frankly delay payment until one day before you were required by contract to file a lien notice. Otherwise, you had no guarantee of being paid after that point. Someone who is highly sophisticated in this system and who comes from construction groups, both trade and prime, who know how to play these games. Now we're into a world, and this is the unspoken side of construction. And there, And again, that has to be dealt with and addressed because we're not talking about that openly and we're not talking about what the real some of the real games that go on on force performance scenarios are how are we going to once again get to vulnerability based trust completely transparent incentive compensation layer profit sharing contracts and there are some owners in the united states that need to be complimented because some of this is being very heavily driven by the owner's side, who finally went, why is it that every project that we're paying for can't come in on time? We're inundated with change orders, and the project's 60% over the original budget estimate of what it is, and we can't complete. And what are we doing to the owners when we're doing that? We are not, we are failing. That's what we're doing. We're failing for the owners. We're failing for our partners. We're failing for ourselves, because even if we can make the money roll go, ultimately, we're engaged in a massively non-win-win scenario and there will be destructive repercussions from those actions. I'm supposed to, as an owner, pay the contractor for progress. I'm waiting until 90 days to make the payment. And what's going to shake out of that is, you know, people that can't make payroll, people that can't get credit to buy the equipment to keep the workforce engaged. And then we're going to also create pressure on the workforce and on those teams. People don't want to come to work or it's, it's yeah. just dreadful. Yeah. And the environment they, is so dreadful. Yeah. Now you've got a, a labor shortage. I mean, you forecasted this over a decade ago, we're going to have a, la a labor shortage in the industry because we're not attracting people to come to the industry. Who wants to come to an environment where you don't get paid for the work you do? You have to argue for what you've actually done. You're treated like a thief, actively treated like a thief. I've had architects tell me that general contractors lie, cheat, and steal on the first five minutes of meeting them yep. and that they were told in school. I had a really large client and the guy goes, you know, my, my son wants to be a carpenter. So we take him in and we train him to be a carpenter. And he wasn't meant to be a carpenter. He just wasn't. He didn't like the construction environment or anything else. So he works for a few years. And one day he comes to me and he goes, I know what I want to do. I want to be an architect. And we're like, rock on, dude. Go. And he goes to an architecture school, one of the five-year programs in the United States. And I'm leaving this all very vague. This is pre-1990. In September, October of the... And he leaves during the summer, right? We don't hear anything from him. And I get a phone call at like 9 or 10 o'clock at night. Totally unexpected, but my number was available to anyone who worked for me. And Sean, sounds like, dude, what's happening? You know, how's it going? Like, how's school? He went, you're not going to believe what just happened today. And I went, what? In the nicest way can be said, the fact that we're all trained differently doesn't help anything either. The fact that an architect is trained one way, a mechanical engineer is trained another way, a bricklayer is trained another way, 
there are educational disparities there and laborers are trained in another way completely right this they all speak different languages and this is a problem okay but this is a direct story about what you were talking about the crooks being called a crook because i've been in multiple situations where the architect repeatedly just we walked in the door and he went Our, all contractors are crooks we know it we know you're stealing from us you know what let's just get this over with as quickly as possible because i basically can't build this building unless i hire a crook the guy goes i went into my first i went into architecture 101 at this major university and he said and i was in a hall with 250 architecture 101 students forgive me any architects listening to this but this is a true story and he goes so they put a guy's face up on the screen opening lecture one owners are babies who have lollipops and they want something contractors are crooks who like to steal candy from babies architects are the police that keep the bad contractors from stealing the candy out of the babies talk about indoctrination i mean and granted, yeah. that could be a horrible teacher in a horrible scenario, but I do know people who came out of that school of thinking because I've had to work with them on and off over the course of my entire career. Nobody's good or bad in one way or another. There's, you know, the standard contractor joke. We're going to bid this project. How are we going to bid it? And it's like, we're going to hire three other contractors, double their prices and take the low bid and we're going to keep the other half kind of deal. I mean, so no one's immune from <laughs> unscrupulous actions or but incorrect thinking in certain environments, but we have to understand that there is a doctrine of training also lends itself to the disconnects that we experience within the industry and what makes it difficult for us to make an effective transition from inward thinking mindset, thinking fixed mindset engagements to outward thinking, outward mindset growth mindset, high levels of all those things we talked about, psychological safety, vulnerability-based trust. And there are modern people who are talking about this. There are people making change. The change is not affecting itself quickly, rapidly enough, nor effectively enough yet, although we are going to see a change in the curve here. I'm, I'm very hopeful we'll see a change in the curve here eventually. Sean and I talk like this pretty much every time we talk. And <laughs> and every time we talk, we do it with a smile on our face because we're hopeful. The opportunity is ripe for all of us. If you're listening to this podcast, you have an opportunity to take some beautiful action and make your project just a little bit better. It's not so dire for you. You have some responsibility, autonomy as a human being to get curious about some of these things that we talked about. And try some of these things out. It's perfectly okay and safe. Collaborate with people regardless of what your contract says. You can have a high collaboration environment if you let the conditions be ripe for enabling it. And if you're on a site right now and things aren't going well, reach out to Sean or I. We're happy to hear from you and talk to you about what you're struggling with. And we have absolutely been there. Some of us have been there multiple times. Yeah, some of us are <laughs> scarred and... um hopefully not grown old and cynical about this. One of the comments you were talking about just reminded me. So I just found this new influencer on LinkedIn. You probably know her. Her name is Katie Anderson. Have you run across Katie Anderson yet? Oh, Katie Anderson has been on my show twice, Sean. Uh, I am so, okay. I'm old and behind the curve, like way behind. I try to think that I'm like all. Uh, so clearly I, Sean doesn't stay up on this I, podcast. ladies and No, gentlemen. I don't stay up on this podcast. I like most people in construction, am a workaholic. And as much as I try to change that factor, you know, multiple home life scenario failures can, can speak. Otherwise, she, I just saw her, whatever it is, brief piece on the real meaning of Kaizen and continuous improvement. Have you seen that little blurb? Oh, it's, of course. It's brilliant. And, and, and what 
Felipe is saying right now is I urge you to go find her on LinkedIn and watch this Real Meaning of Kaizen Continuous Improvement. It's not five minutes. What is it? Seven minutes? Something like that, Matt? Yeah, we'll put a link in the show notes to Katie's uh, video on it. She nailed that stuff. What you're talking about, she nailed it. What a brilliant thinker. I'm her, I'm a new fan. I, I, like, I, Perfect. I, I I'll tell her the next time I talk to her that she's got another fan in Sean Greystone. And she's got a fan. This is a thinking person who has put together things beautifully. And I love the fact that she uses the roots of words, which I'm very much into, hidden languages within language, which is understanding where the roots of words come from so that we can understand what we're really saying when we're using words. I try to be very particular with my words, even though it may not appear like that today. I actually try to be very particular with my words because I think words have profound meanings. And she... And she through an analysis of the words that make up Kaizen and, and some other thoughts in there uh, lead to the things that you were just talking about and lead to their beautiful, just beautiful, you know. This stuff is out there. I, along with Felipe, encourage anyone who's doing this to find that burning, lusting desire to know and follow it. It's like a magnesium fuse. You know, once you light it, it's very hard to put out. And to me, the job of a good teacher was always just to light it. It really is just like a magnesium fuse. For those of you who played with stuff you shouldn't have as kids on construction sites or anything else, you understand that once you light a magnesium, magnesium fuses are very difficult to light, but once they're lit, they're very hard to put out. And so it's, but it's the same thing, you know, follow that, be an agent of change. That's really what I was thinking, Felipe, this is beautiful. I was told is a, uh, possibly a Chinese or a Pacific Rim saying to change your world, change your country, to change your country, change your state, to change your state, change your town. To change your town, change your family, to change your family, change yourself. So the route to affecting great change, just like in chaos theory's concept of a butterfly's flapping wings on one side of the world creates a hurricane on the other side. There is, which is why, by the way, the understanding of the fact that there's no insignificant action in a human engagement. In other words, something that you think is a casual go-by situation on a job site when you're walking by someone is not a casual situation. There is no casual situations. Everything has right. to be done. And she speaks to this beautifully with the concept of intent and purpose and understanding what your intent is. So if you're mindless of your intent, you're not performing according to this new paradigm set of thinking, right? Intent is everything, everything. To make the change in the world, we have, we have to change ourselves first. If I can change myself, anybody can change anything because I'm one of the most stubborn, hard-headed, fixed, stupid people you've ever met in your entire life. And so I figure... Confirmed. I, I, yeah, it's absolutely the case. I'm not in decision. <laughs> But if I can get there, then I fail to believe that anybody can't get there, Frank, really, truly. And there is no measure of progress. The only measure of progress there is comes from the Obusan story from Nicholas Modig. It doesn't matter if the change that you make is incremental. That's how, you know that's that other cliche thing, to shift the battleship. Or as they found out in the Suez Canal recently, to shift a giant ship one degree takes an enormous amount of effort. But a one degree shift early on is you know a very wide split when you're 200 miles out. So, again, it's like, don't shy away from the work, you know, don't shy away from the work of ourselves. Everyone in construction really works very hard. I mean, there are very few slackers in this world where we don't put the focuses on, on, on changing ourselves because we're induced by fear, the failure to be able to face the parts of ourselves that we condemn the most. And just like that old theory about the person in the office who screams loudest about stealing in the office is the person who's doing the stealing, it's because people attribute to other people the things that they think we don't understand looking outside the box thinking at all. We don't understand outward mindset. We attribute our own motivations to everybody else that's around us thinking that they think the same way. We have to 
get out of the place where we run from with fear and turn around and embrace these parts of ourselves knowing that we all come from one source. We're all created by something beautiful in a world that's supposed to be beautiful. So it looks like work on making the world beautiful and making ourselves beautiful. Even the ugly wart part, that's the getting naked in a conference room to, to sign an IFOA contract. You know what? It turns out all of our warts and whatever other things we think are so horrible about ourselves, they're just us. You know? They're us. We need to learn to love ourselves first. You can't love anybody else. You can't love yourself. You can't be responsible for anybody else. If you can't be responsible for yourself, you can't master anything if you can't master yourself. But again, we talk about this stuff in construction, not often enough. So. <laughs> Until now. Above the estimators desk at, at a company I did work for for years and years and years. These are guys who got their estimating degrees in 1935. They're responsible for building things like the Pentagon and Los Alamos National Laboratories. Okay. There was a sign above the head estimator's desk in the estimating room. This is old school. And this is what I grew up to at 17, 18, 19, 20, 21. The sign said the following. And this isn't a good sign. Okay, don't take this like I'm promoting something. This sign contributed to my inability to think clearly in the field for the first 15 years of my career. It said, architects are professionals that know a little bit about a great many things. And they go on learning less and less about more and more until they know nothing about everything. Engineers are professionals who know a great deal about a very limited field and go on knowing more and more about less and less till they know everything about nothing. Construction estimators are consummate professionals who know a great deal about very many things but do their constant association with architects and engineers. End up as frustrated, angry old men. That was a placard. It was this big and it hung over the top desk. You want to know how many people that sign influenced? It's when architect bashing or engineer bashing was part of the name of the game. Now, the flip side to that is, I hate to say it, but I've known architects who've used contractual terms, especially liquidated damages conditions and punch lists that never ended kind of situations. Yeah. I mean, I sat in a meeting once with an architect, nationally known, made the covers of magazines, who basically said to the owner, we never pay our retainage. That, that's just, you can rest assured you're going to get 10% back on this project. We'll make those punch lists so odious that, right? And this is no different than a contractor saying they're going to pad their bid to deal with certain people. I mean, these are all, again, part of the dark. I don't want to call it dark because I don't like the terms dark and light. There's a beautiful piece called Don't Hate the Dark written on one of the, like, elephant blog or something like that that was really, really clever. Because just like the analogy I made about the tapestry, the dark parts of the tapestry is necessary to the definition of the picture on the tapestry as are the light parts. So that everything has a purpose in life and the adversary is not evil. These are the things that solicit emotional responses, Sean. These are also reflective of the misunderstandings and failures that cause hostile working environments, the territorial disputes, and all the rest of that kind of stuff that comes up in non-constructive, what I would call unhealthy business engagements, whether in construction or any other industry. We need to work hard. To overcome this because I fully believe that human beings are good at heart, good in nature at their core. And like I said earlier, I think everybody knows the difference between good and bad and right and wrong. And what we have to do is find out what causes us to react like that and then heal the things within ourselves that cause that type of behavior. Because there is nothing more rewarding, nothing. There's nothing more rewarding or powerful than being on a high performance, high functioning team. And the the human connections that grow as a result of that are unparalleled in any other experience that I have. It's another reason why, as cynical and as jaded as I may appear to sound at times, I love, I've been in this since I was 17, and I come from multiple generations of it, and 
I love what I do. I love building. I love construction. I love the environment. I love creating things. It's self-satisfying at such a deep level. And I spent years struggling on trying to figure out, well, why am I so frustrated? Why am I so angry? Why do I go home and I can't sleep? Why do I have panic attacks? Why do I have, like, so, and how, and how ultimately do we really, really change these things? Because implementing real change and deep change is not easy, but it's achievable. It is achievable. And I've also found that the single individual effort is not what gets us there. It's the joint effort. It's the conversations I have with you. It's the conversations I have with all the peers in the industry. It's the long, deep conversations. Have the uncomfortable conversation. Have it. Do it. Have it. It doesn't matter if it makes you squirm. It doesn't matter if it triggers emotional stuff. It doesn't matter if somebody gets angry. The point is, do it. Because in doing to it, without conflict, there's no motion forward. Constructive conflict is healthy. Anger is not a bad thing. Anger can be indulged in. Anger can be abused. But anger per se, is a healthy response, just like guilt is, just like other reactions that we have, other emotions that we have, and all the rest of this stuff. These are all signals that the highly sophisticated and highly complex mind and consciousness of who we are as human beings is always feeding back to us. We need to understand that nature or God or that which creates all things or whatever you want to call it is always evident and, and guiding us and, and we just need to learn how to read, to read from what they call the book of nature. just want to thank you so much for coming on to the show again. This has been a pleasure. It's mutual. I thank you for being brave enough to put me on a public forum. <laughs> <laughs> Very special thanks to my guest. I'm Felipe Engineer Manriquez. The EBFC show is created by Felipe and produced by a passion to build easier and better. Thanks for listening. Stay safe, everybody. Let's go build.